Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosser. It's me a great pleasure to welcome back to Viewpoints uh, Dr. Adam Fraser, who's a peak performance researcher, professional speaker, author, and consultant. Welcome again to Viewpoints, Dr. Adam Fraser. Henry, it's great to be back. It is great to be back, and uh, there's sounds and echoes there of back to some semblance of no normality after COVID. Now, now Adam, you do a lot of work with people in, in my space, education, and also in the corporate sector, uh, how to flourish, how to, to make the most of your talents and your teams. COVID's been, COVID's been there for all of us. Uh, from, from your perspective in the work you do in your space, um, what impact has COVID had on you and, and how have you coped with that? Oh, geez, COVID had a huge impact on me. I mean, a lot of the work I do is presenting. So my business model is let's get a big bunch of people in a room, sit them really close together them to interact, which is not the best business model for a global pandemic. So, you know, right out of the gate, oh, God, I've got to tell you, I really struggled because um, 2020 was a year where we'd pulled off some really big projects and this was going to be our you know, biggest year ever. And, and when COVID hit, we saw a lot of things get cancelled or postponed. And it was kind of like my Armageddon. And I, I have to tell you, I really struggled at the start. Um, you know, there was a, it was a pretty dark time, but very quickly we righted the ship. And I have to say for a business that really relies on getting people together, we handled it incredibly well. And we bounce back from it very quickly so yeah although it was very challenging now we'll talk in a moment about um, the research the flourish movement which is based on evidence-based research and partnerships with uh, with organizations and universities um the COVID experience and you just mentioned that you struggled what did you learn in there that uh, might have added value to the research work that you did with uh, with people out there in the field and with uh, university people uh, the practical experience can sometimes add texture yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think one thing I learned right out of the gate was just how much of my self-image was wrapped up in my work and, um, you know, that I was this very busy person who travelled all over the world and spoke to these groups. And when that got taken away, you know, my initial response was, well, who am I and where is my standing in the world? So I had to there was a many, many weeks and months of self-reflection and starting to question my identity and what contribution I made. And I really had to very quickly reassess my life. And, and COVID in many ways was a huge blessing because it got me to think about what was important, what sort of contribution do I want to make to the world. Um, so it was, a for me, a really great reset. And... Um, you know, very quickly it was about, well, what sort of impact do we want to have on the world and what is the work we want to say no to so that we can be more aligned to our meaning and purpose and our values. Mm. Look, as you said that, Adam, it made me think about myself over the last uh, couple of years and, uh, and and colleagues I've spoken to and you're spot on there for us too in, uh, in school leadership uh, during yeah. covid we had to reinvent ourselves and 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 also re-educate ourselves on how we delivered what we did because yeah there were lots of times there we, we're very much a with people's uh, person type career and we were on the end of a computer for 
long periods of time and uh, for some of us it, 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 it led to leaving the profession, for others battled and some of us have thrived. Now, mm. I do want to get on to the Flourish movement now. Actually, can lot... I just say one thing about sure. what you were talking about then? What, we did a huge amount of research on corporate people, educators during COVID and the thing that surprised us the most was how incredibly adaptable people were. They very quickly altered the way they worked to get things done, to execute. We were in awe of educators. Their ability to change and collaborate and work together was extraordinary. And I think one thing COVID showed for schools is what you can achieve when everyone gets out of your way. So when you have a big challenge in front of you and um, you're left alone to tackle that challenge by yourself, educators, particularly school leaders, are extraordinary people in their capacity to adapt and cope and really get the job done. Mm, it's a good point you make because sometimes, and I, I guess you know this from human psychology, we can be our own worst enemies in, in evaluating ourselves. And, uh, and um, I think there were many of us who at different points of time wondered whether whether what we were doing was, was enough. Um, now, the Flourish Movement's an evidence-based uh, program. Um, you've spent a lot of time working with universities, and I, I really want to honour that because there's a lot of stuff out there that isn't evidence-based and must frustrate you as much as it does us. Tell us a bit about that because you've been involved in that for some years now, and then we'll get on to your latest report. Yeah, well, Flourish Movement started around six years ago where we were approached by a group of school principals on the South Coast so their PPC, so that sort of local area that they're in, um, they approached us and said, you know, our well-being's really suffering. We're finding it very difficult. The job's more challenging. How do we cope with this thing? And we brought Deakin University in to study the job. Like we really wanted to understand where people spent their time, how many interruptions they had, what sort of stress levels, like a really detailed analysis and not just a survey, but we also did diary studies. So they filled out a 10-day diary study. They had interviews with researchers. So we really pulled the job apart. And then armed with that information, we sat down with that group of principals and we designed the Flourish Movement program. So it was co-designed with the people in the job, which is one of the reasons why it's been so effective. And as you said, everything we teach in there with it is evidence-based. And also we get Deakin University independently to measure the results of the program, so the results of every group, as well as what we've done recently is re-research people who did the program one to four years ago to see if if the effects are still there and, and how they're going. So we take very seriously the, the research and the validation of independent research for the program. No, and I want to commend you on that. In your most recent report, the 2021 one that I have in front of me, um, there's a couple of key findings that, uh, and it's a great program. I think people, it's a great thing to read and, and access, but a couple of your key findings we'll chat about. One, the program impact lives on. Um, you might like to elaborate on that. Yeah, well, what we saw is, is almost 60% of people who finished that program uh, one to four years ago are still in the high implementation group. So they're still doing practically all of the program. They're still practicing the principles we teach them. Around 30% are in that moderate level of um, 
implementation. So they're still doing the, the vast majority of it. And then you have around 10%, which is that kind of low implementation group who have dropped off a little bit. Um, they're still doing some things, but not the vast majority. And what's really great about that is seeing that the program lives on, seeing that it's continuing to have an impact, which as a, a facilitator and someone who delivers programs, you know, that's what you want to hear. So we're really, really pleased with that result that, once again, Deakin University independently measured. Yeah, you say implementation levels are the key. Um, in what way? Well, just, you know, what we did is broke the program down into the key elements that we taught. So, for example, one of them is regular recovery. So are they taking time? each day, each week, to recover from the stress of the role. You know, we looked at the sleep principles that we teach. We also looked at one of the big focuses of the program is how do you control your external environment? How do you reduce the number of interruptions you have? How do you sort of control the agenda? Um, so it, what we did is broke down what we taught them into these key principles and then we measured whether they were still doing them or not. And um, so that's how we get to implementation levels. Mm. Now, you say the impact of time is less than expected. That's, uh, that's almost um, counterintuitive. When you say the impact of time, what do you mean? Uh, in your report, one of the key findings was sustainability results were not as impacted by time since completion than we had anticipated. Yeah, well, we kind of were trying to be a bit pessimistic about our own <laughs> data, where we didn't – you've got to be very careful as a researcher to go in with a, a bias or a hypothesis. And we we expected there to be more significant drop-off. And what we found is it wasn't – well, as I said before, the results really surprised us. We were very happy and very uh, pleased to see that time – hadn't really eroded away these principles. They stuck. They were still doing them. And I don't know whether that was because of the huge behavioural change support side of Flourish or the fact that they get a buddy and 56% of people were still talking to their buddy on a weekly basis, you know, who holds them accountable for doing these things and gives them that support. Um, yeah, so it was a pleasing finding. Interesting, uh, and again, it's counterintuitive for me personally here. You might like to elaborate, Adam. Um, you, you were almost pessimistic in your anticipation of the outcome. Uh, I'm surprised that you were surprised, <laughs> being the <laughs> eternal optimist. Well, yeah, I, I ebb and flow around that, but I'm just very mindful of the reason we use a university to measure our program is that if you measure your own results, <laughs> you can't help but have some sort of bias because you want mm. them to be good. And what we were very careful of is just, you know, believing our own press or, or you know, drinking our own Kool-Aid. Um, and even with one of the things um, we did was hired uh, actuaries to measure the return on investment of the program. So we hired people who do... Uh, they were based in South Africa. They do big global studies around health funds. So if the health fund invests in something, what is the return on investment? So we got those same people to measure the return on investment of this program. Uh, and, and we said to them, hey, let's be 
let's err on conservative. Like, let's not extrapolate things too much. So what we looked at, what we got them to look at was in terms of productivity and, and uh, greater performance, as well as better health and well-being, what was the impact of the program? And what we saw was a 300% return on investment. And what that shows is school leaders are an amazing investment. Like, you know, if, if an education department or a system wanted to invest in these people and really help them support their well-being, the return on investment is extraordinary. I mean, it's 300%, which is just an amazing return on investment. And it just shows that if you support leaders around their well-being, they will implement these things and they'll get good results. Then mm. going through the report, there's some fascinating areas in which you speak, and one of them is the field of boundary strength. Boundary strength is yep. the ability to separate work from home. That of itself is a huge challenge for a lot of principals, teachers, and I, and I, I would dare say a lot of people. Um, tell us a bit about that and how, how from the studies you've come up with some useful information for us. Yeah, well, boundary strength was probably the worst thing that we measured in school leaders in terms of at baseline, they were really bad at it. Um, yeah, there was other factors in terms of you know, huge levels of interruption, poor sleep, but boundary strength on a scale of is measured on a scale of one to five. And they were in the sort of low to mid ones on that measure. And, and as you described it perfectly, it's just how much does work invade in your personal time? So that could be doing work or that could be worrying or ruminating or thinking about work. And what we see is around a 54% improvement in boundary strength. So that ability, and what this means is when they're in their personal time, they're present and they're not worried or doing work. So this was a really pleasing result. It's, it's one of the biggest changes we see. Um, but for a school leader, boundary strength is very, very important. Now, personal is my own, and one of the observations you made from this was that this was one of the few non-linear relationships. I always like to get the outliers out on the table. Uh, did that surprise you? Um, oh, a little bit in terms of, you know, once again, school leaders are such giving people. They're so committed like they have so much um, meaning and purpose and sense of like uh, servitude that, you know, often in their personal time, um, they give so much of that to the role or the school. So once again, you know, they didn't score very well on this at the start, but throughout the program, what we saw is, you know, around a 33% improvement in that measure that when I am, and, and obviously it has a lot of parallels with boundary strength, but we saw dramatic improvements in that, which is that ability to turn off, be present, connect with the people that really mean the most to you is such an important skill. And it's just really, we're really glad to see that that's gone up so much. Now, psychological capital, you, you focus on that and you, you, your finding is there appears to be an inverse relationship with time and psychological capital with the earlier groups having better results than the later. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. So psychological capital is a, a measure that's made up of four key factors. They are resilience, hope, optimism, and confidence. 
So it's a psychological construct. And in our other work with many corporate groups, psychological capital is the greatest predictor of performance. So we want that measure to be really good. Now, what we found with school leaders is their baseline score of that was very, very high. So that confidence, resilience, hope, and optimism is uh, like a very important factors in the role. And actually, you know, as someone that does the job, like I'll get your opinion. I don't think you could do this role without having very high psychological capital of those four factors. I mean, what are your thoughts? I couldn't agree with you more on that, Adam. I think I think you're quite right. I think you'd uh, you'd run out of petrol pretty rapidly. Yeah, I mean, it's such a demanding role, and this so this measure um, was very very high at baseline, and we saw improvements in it um, around an eight percent improvement, which for that score. For the fact that it was already so high, to see a further improvement was really extraordinary. And this is something I say about school leaders is they don't have a resilience problem, they have a recovery problem. They don't need to be tougher, they need to take care of themselves more. So this measure um, is a, a very important one and one that's very high in this group and it even improved a little bit more. But was there a, was there some, I think you had a, more specific question about this measure. Hmm. Yeah, no, no, I didn't actually. I, I you okay. covered that pretty well, Adam. Uh, time's got away from us as always. It does. There's so much more that report. Uh, how do people access it and, and and perhaps talk to you about how the program can help themselves and their organisations, their schools. Well, what they need to do is go to our website, which is theflourishmovement.com. Uh, I think .com.au. That's pretty sad. I don't even know my own website. I never go to it. <laughs> but it's either theflourishmovement.com.au. Um, so they can go there and find out all sorts of information. We've got the reports up there that they can download. Um, they can read the research. There's interviews. There's a whole lot of resources on that. And they can also just contact us in terms of, um, you know, the groups, how they could be involved. And, um, you know, we're always happy to talk to people and, and um, you know, if people are interested in doing the program, they can slot into a group and we can tell them how they can do that. But, yeah, that's that's Flourish. It's something we're incredibly proud of and something we're incredibly passionate about. Mm. And uh, anyone out there, um, all you need to do, there's a link that comes up with the show movements on Viewpoints and uh, it'll be very readily accessible to you. Um, thank you, um, Adam. As always, a great pleasure. And as I, one of my favourite words, um, nourishing, a very nourishing uh, conversation <laughs> with you. Thanks, Henry. That was Dr. Adam Fraser, peak performance researcher, professional speaker, author, consultant, works closely with uh, school leadership and school leadership teams.